With the end of the Republican primaries in sight and Donald Trump, the prohibitive favorite for the nomination, critics of the Never Trump movement have been out in force and they're trying to browbeat those of us who don't support Trump into embracing this demagogic loudmouth moron with tyrannical views of government and an incoherent quasi-isolationist foreign policy. So last week I talked about Never Trump and I said never means never. But here's a more important question, given the fact that the Trump train is now barreling down the 2016 tract. What comes next for the Trumpsters? Now that their whining, mewling rage has brought about the nomination of the most leftist candidate in the GOP's history, here's the question. What do they do? Well, they have to do three things. First, they inflate the myth of Trump. Trump is the overwhelming favorite to lose, according to every betting market. He's currently at 18% at Betfair. He's at 29% at Bovada. PredictWise gives him a 27% chance of winning the Republican presidency. Of the last 50 head-to-head polls between Clinton and Trump, Clinton wins 42 of them. She ties three. So, Trumpsters have claimed for months their man is the only one who can beat Hillary. So, they have sort of a bind. Like the Joker in the Dark Knight, they've now chased the car and they've bitten the bumper, but now they don't know what to do with it. So, they'll pretend for just a few months that Trump will win. Today, they're holding up a new Rasmussen poll. It shows Trump ahead of Hillary 41 to 39. This, they say, shows Trump is competitive. Now, put aside that Rasmussen polls were wildly off last time around in 2012. Instead, focus on the fact that the poll includes 15% of voters who say they want somebody else and another 5% who are undecided. No candidate in history has won an election with 41% of the vote without a third-party candidate, and there's no third-party candidate on the horizon. Beyond that, the poll shows that Trump wins about 48% of white voters He needs 63% to be competitive with Hillary Clinton. So in the absence of decent stats showing that Trump would be competitive with Clinton, they're starting to spin. Michael Walsh, he's a big Trump supporter over at the New York Post, he says Trump can win. He says, quote, you're darn right he can. Does anyone think that in the debates Hillary will be able to withstand the blunt force trauma the braggadocious billionaire deployed to knock Jeb and his other rivals out of the race? First off, He didn't really knock Cruz out of the race with that same routine. He didn't knock Rubio out of the race with that same routine. He looked pretty bad in those last debates. New debates will look much more like those late debates. Then they have to move on to step two. Wait for the consolidation. They have to pretend that the old establishment is the new anti-establishment. Everybody who's anti-Trump but used to be establishment is now the new anti-establishment. So the Trump people made a bet. They bet that the establishment wing of the GOP would get behind them if they could threaten them into conciliation. Historically, that's a pretty good bet. Obama made the same bet. He he constantly threatened and cajoled Republicans, and it always paid off. Now, Marco Rubio is making ridiculously funny noises about how Trump is coming around and has become more mature. John Boehner, the former Speaker of the House, says Cruz is Satan incarnate and he'd vote for Trump over Hillary, but not Cruz. Trump is overtly defending Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. In Indiana, former Governor Mitch Daniels has kept quiet, and current Governor Mike Pence reluctantly endorsed Cruz, but then said nice things about Trump. GOP leaders are getting behind Trump for a few reasons. First, they don't want the party split. Second, they want the cash. Anytime there's an election, they get a lot of cash. And third, they actually like Trump's leftist program, even if they don't like Trump personally. Okay, third thing that the Trumpsters are prepared to do, they're preparing for the crash. So the Trumpsters are really worried that Trump's going to lose. And so they're preparing their stabbed in the back myth early. They're relying on these first two steps. They're claiming Trump is a super powerful, wonderfully brilliant candidate. And they're going to say that even the establishment got behind him. And then if they lose, they're going to say that the evil, nasty conservatives wrecked the whole thing. Ian Tuttle put it this way, this way at National Review. He said, if Trump is the nominee, it's not going to matter what anti-Trump conservatives do leading up to November. If he wins, 
Supporters will trot out the guillotine. If he loses, they'll trot out the guillotine. They just want to see heads roll. This has been the animating impulse from the beginning. At the heart of the Trump phenomenon is a bloodthirst, and one way or another, there will be blood. Now, the Trump people have to push this narrative, or they'll be blamed for nominating the most despised person in modern politics, and thus losing the presidency to the most despised leftist in modern politics. That'll turn 2020, four years from now, into a brawl between the Trump supporters, the people who initiated this stupid, pathetic beer hall putsch, and those who oppose them. The burden is now on the Trumpsters. They're about to find out that if you light the match for the burn it all down movement, that's not quite the same thing as sitting in the center of the house while the walls are flaming. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The the tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. So we're back from Passover, and uh, in this week's episode is sponsored by the post-Passover laxative Let My People Go. And it's a... <laughs> And it was a great vacation. I'm so glad that I had it. And I'm so sad that I get to come back the day before Armageddon. It's just, it's, it's bad vacation scheduling. Like, if you're going to schedule a vacation, preferably you do it when Armageddon is actually happening. You don't come back right before the sweet meteor of death hits the earth and obliterates all life. That's the time when you'd prefer to be on the vacation. We're coming back the day before Indiana. Newest poll from the Wall Street Journal, NBC, shows that Trump is up 40, 49 to 35 over Ted Cruz which, of course, has everybody who cares about the republic, everybody who thinks Trump will be bad for the republic, shredding their clothing and, and, ripping, their, and ripping their clothes and, and gnashing their teeth and be decking themselves with ash, or as they like to call it, the Glenn Beck Show. But in any case, <laughs> I love Glenn, but that's, that's sort of what, what a lot of us are becoming. In any case, it's, it's very sad. Donald Trump is poised to, to win Indiana. There are two different polls that came out over the weekend. One shows Cruz way ahead. Uh, and then one shows that uh, that Trump is way ahead. The one that shows Trump way ahead is the NBC Wall Street Journal one. The one that shows Cruz ahead is some nowhere poll from Indiana. So uh, take that for what it is worth. The establishment couldn't be happier about this, by the way. The establishment, which I've been saying for months, was going to swing behind Donald Trump when the chips were actually down, when there's only one way to stop Trump, and that was going to be them. They would cave, and that's what they're doing. And so what you're starting to see is this new call from the from the elite uh, in the Republican Party, that Trump is actually fine. Secretly, he's okay. It's all just been a big ruse. You know, this this whole thing is, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. And, and Cruz really is desperate. Now, yes, of course Cruz is desperate. But one of the things making him desperate is that you guys keep saying that he's desperate. Like, it turns out that when everybody in the establishment jumps onto the seesaw on Donald Trump's very heavy side, then that's going to make Cruz a little bit more desperate. So here's Newt Gingrich uh, rolling out like the bowling ball that he is, talking about how Indiana is life or death for, for Ted Cruz. What do you think? you think Indiana is the make-or-break situation? I mean, if Trump wins Indiana, is it over? <clears throat> oh, sure. Look, uh, Indiana is make-or-break for Cruz, and it's a bump in the road for Trump. Uh, if Cruz can't win Indiana, and by win I mean get virtually all the delegates, do something like close to what he did in Wisconsin, uh, there's no possibility that he can stop Trump. It'll just be over sometime Wednesday morning. Uh, on the other hand, if Trump doesn't do particularly well in, in uh, Indiana, he has so much overall momentum and is such a huge lead that he could still win uh, by, by winning in New Jersey and California on June 7th. So for Trump, it is a significant event. For Cruz, it's life and death. Well, it's become that because people like Gingrich over the past few weeks have been throwing their rather ample support behind Donald Trump. And he's not the only one. David Brooks, who really doesn't like Trump very much. He hates Cruz even more. I mean, David Brooks despises Cruz because he thinks that Ted Cruz is just 
the word he said that that he has I think he called it a satanic impulse toward darkness, something ridiculous like that. David Brooks, who actually is a leftist, he's he's a leftist masquerading as a right winger. Uh, David Brooks says he's the the in-house conservative over at PBS and, and New York Times. He says that Cruz is drowning, Cruz is collapsing, and, and all the rest of it. The second thing that's happened is not only Trump is strong, but Cruz looks a lot weaker. Uh, and flailing about with Carly Fiorina and uh, the alleged Kasich deal, uh, that looks like the uh, acts of, of a drowning man. Uh, and so just in terms of the moral rigor, the motivation force, the morale, um, Cruz is, is collapsing and, and Trump is, is surging. So I agree with Mark. And uh, you don't have to look quite so happy about it there, David. Uh, Karl Rove, too, seems a little, he's coming around, too. You're seeing the entire Republican establishment jump on this bandwagon. Now, look, there's objective analysis. Cruz is desperate. Cruz has to win Indiana. If he doesn't win Indiana, it is over, essentially, unless something unforeseen happens. Donald Trump spontaneously combusts from, from dusting his face with the hot Cheetos instead of the regular Cheetos or something like that. But it, it, it's true. Donald Trump is probably going to be the nominee. But the point that I'm making is that the talk about Cruz, you can see there's like a little bit of glee behind a lot of these folks talking about how Cruz is basically done. And the reason that he's basically done is because these people have blown up in the last two weeks Trump's victories, which he was expected to win on the East Coast into, well, this is over now. He won New York. He won Delaware. Clearly, he's going to sweep. They, the media helped craft a feeling of momentum. It's what they do. After Iowa, the media did not push the notion that Ted Cruz had a lot of momentum going into New Hampshire. They said, oh, he's going to get killed in New Hampshire. And he actually did much better than expected in New Hampshire. The media helps craft the momentum conversation, and they're really behind the Trump train right now, and which is why Trump will probably win Indiana tomorrow, and he'll probably win it in bigger numbers than people think he will. Karl Rove does the same thing. Rove has been making secret, quiet overtures toward backing Trump because he wants his American Crossroads super PAC to be relevant in the general election. He doesn't want to take himself out of play. And so here is the, the panel on Fox News Sunday. Uh, Chris Wallace, who is a Trump backer, uh, and uh, it looks like, I think, Kimberly Guilfoyle, who's a Trump backer, Carl Rove, who is a, who's a quasi-Trump backer, Juan Williams, who is kind of a quasi-Trump backer, and George Will, the only person on the panel who doesn't like Donald Trump. But there's, there's Carl Rove in the center. Again, why this man is considered a legitimate political figure is beyond me after he ran up and down the halls of Fox News during the last election cycle, <laughs> like a character from Harry Potter haunting the bathrooms, <laughs> like moaning Myrtle. Here is, here is Carl Rove. He said if Trump won Indiana, it could all be lit over. Right. Mm -hmm. So, look, th this is not a strategic move. This was a tactical move. Uh, the Acela primary was a night of good night for Donald Trump. And what better way to stop people in Indiana from focusing on that than naming your vice presidential running mate and spending a lot of time in Indiana? And so, they, you know, it, it, it was a desperate move. But it, it may have shut down a certain amount of the coverage of Trump's Acela primary win and spend a little bit more time on the pizzazz of a vice presidential running mate. And they're eager. The media is eager to make it into, into a cruise out, Trump in routine. E.J. Dionne, he's a leftist. He's trying to push the horse race narrative now. And this is what the entire media are going to do. It's a real horse race. Trump can win this thing. You're already starting to see that narrative out today. As I suggested earlier, this is the first step in the narrative. The first step is Trump can win. Then it's the establishment jumps on the bandwagon because they like the money and they, they like, want to keep the doors open. And then finally, it'll be Trump loses and he loses pretty big. And then they turn around and they say, well, it's because of all you conservatives who wouldn't back him in the first place. E.J. Dionne is on the left. He's pushing the, the horse race narrative. Here he is. 
trade, 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 and deindustrialization. And that's his whole card. If he could win those Rust Belt states that are traditionally Democratic, he could win the election. His problem is, uh, on Matt's point, uh, the country may say we're on the wrong track, but Barack Obama's numbers have gone over 50%, as he said uh, last night. Um, and if uh, Barack Obama is doing that well in November, it's going to be very hard for Trump to advance that argument. And I think whatever he picks up among voters concerned uh, about trade and those issues, he's going to lose with those massive negative numbers he has among women. So I think his path is very difficult. But if there is a path for him, it's in the Rust Belt and it's with young voters uh, not voting in the same in the numbers that Hillary needs. And, and Chris, Chris, do you he helps with uh, he helps bring them out. But okay, so the idea is that this will be a more competitive race than everybody thinks. Now, I want to talk a little bit about how Trump can win. How Trump can actually win. So I don't think that it's going to be as much of a cakewalk as even I have been saying Hillary over Trump. I do think that Hillary will end up winning. I do think she'll win a lot of states that Trump has put into play. But if Trump wins, it's really going to be just because the left is so terrible, which is what makes this whole thing really frustrating for me. Because if Trump wins because the left is just so terrible, that means that Cruz could have won just because the left is so terrible. And then we could have a constitutional conservative as president of the United States, not this bloviating big state buffoon. Right? If, the, if the left is so terrible that anybody could have won, which is basically the premise, because the only other premise is basically that Trump attacks a lot, but Trump's attacks backfire as often as they strike. But if Trump wins, it's going to be because the people who are on the other side are so terrible. So one of the big narratives that's emerged over the last few days has been all of the protesters at Trump, at Trump rallies. That, that there are a lot of protesters showing up and harassing people, and this is true. And when I watch this stuff as somebody who ardently does not like Donald Trump, somebody who ardently dislikes Donald Trump. I understand the sympathy for Donald Trump when you look at this stuff. So here are a bunch of Hispanic kids protesting one of Trump's appearances uh, in California, and here's what it looked like. You know, people driving past with Trump signs, and what you see is a bunch of Bernie Sanders holding Latino kids. They're children. I mean, they were looking at children. They were wearing sombreros. And they are and they are flipping the birds. These people driving past. There's a, a rather large black woman who's shaking her her rump at the cars and slapping her butt. All these kids. These kids must be what, 12 years old, maybe 10, 12 years old, and they're flipping off all of the cars that are passing. I look at this and I say, you're holding a Mexican flag and wearing a sombrero, and you're flipping off the cars that are passing. I have a lot of sympathy for the people who oppose you, even if I don't like the people who oppose you. And this is what's the, the, the Trump movement is an anti-movement. It's an anti-movement. It's an anti-everything movement. And it's an anti-these people movement. So the more prominent these folks are, the better off Trump is going to be. Another event over the weekend. There was a bunch of protesters who clashed with the police at, at a Trump event. Here's what that looked like. Mr. Hayes, leave our state. Protesters in California tried stopping the billionaire in his tracks, clashing with police, breaking down barricades, even fighting with a Trump supporter, the most violent opposition to a Trump appearance since a canceled event in Chicago last month. They forced the candidate to take a winding detour to a GOP convention near San Francisco. That was not the easiest entrance I've ever made. My wife called. She said, there are helicopters following you, and we did, and then we went under a fence and through a fence, and... Oh, boy, I felt like I was crossing the border, actually. You know? <laughs> I was crossing the border, but I got here. <laughs> it's a funny line. Okay, it's a funny line. And this is what creates the feeling of popularity for Trump, because the people who face him are such dimwits. The people who face him are so terrible. Right? It's sort of the same feeling. I'm sure there are people who dislike me, 
And when I go in and I speak on a campus and people try to throw people who want to hear lectures around and start beating them up, people start to have sympathy for my point of view just because the people who are protesting me are so terrible. Here's an, another Trump supporter. They showed him briefly there. And it, Sean Hannity described this guy as somebody walking through hell. Okay, let's be real about this. Like, this isn't Auschwitz and it's not Normandy. Okay, it ain't quite hell. And the guy is choosing, in fact, to walk through a bunch of leftist protesters. But it does show that there are a bunch of people out there on the left who are violent. There they are flying Mexican flags and honestly trying to beat up a guy who's wearing a Make America Great Again hat. And of course, it's a pro-Trump video, so it's the legend of Christopher Conway. This guy's walking uh, and the fancy video. You should subscribe, number one. But number two, if this guy is walking, he's getting all feisty with some of these protesters. And, like, he wants to fight them. And he kind of looks like Trump. He's kind of big dude. Um, and uh, he's wearing a Make America Great Again hat. And he's being confronted by people and getting in push fights with them and all the rest of it. Here is, and you know, that's enough of that. But here's, and finally, here's a Trump protester explaining why it is that these protesters are doing what they're doing. This was on MSNBC over the weekend. Can you tell us just how this escalated, how this kind of gotten out of control? I don't think it is out of control. I think that what you're seeing is people express righteous rage at the fact that we've got this hateful bigot coming to speak in our state, and they're saying, no, absolutely not. Was this action planned? Was this planned to be a peaceful protest, or was it by any means necessary at this point? We respect a diversity of tactics, right? We plan to, to lock down the streets and keep him out and stop him from speaking. And by any diversity of tactics, you mean anything goes? We mean that black and brown and poor people have a righteous rage and they have a right to express it in the way that they need to and, and to prevent this man from speaking in our state. Why is the anger so directed at this one person, at Donald Trump? What is the rage about? Because he's been inciting violence against black people and brown people and um, Muslim people and and giving a platform for basically hate speech and white supremacy to permeate the country. Do you feel like rushing over the barriers and, and heading towards the entrance of a, of a convention is the right way to approach this? Though? I think that we should be interrupting the convention and making sure that Donald Trump does not take stage today. Okay. Do you plan so to keep it there? The, the bottom line is these people, if, if Donald Trump becomes president, it's because of these people. It's because of these people. And they're handing a talking point to the, to the RNC. So RNC Communications Director Sean Spicer he said this, he was on CNN, he says, why is it that we never talk about the, the anti-Trump protesters who are getting violent? But what was not as fun is to watch the violence outside of the Donald Trump um, rally last night. That's Sean, right. I want to just pull some pictures up of what happened last night. These were anti-Trump protesters. Yeah. They were turning over police cars. They were just, you know, there was yeah. all sorts of vandalism. Yeah. So what, yeah. I mean, how much of a concern do I mean, you I, have I, moving I, forward, I, Sean, I, about the, these scenes that we're seeing? Well, I'll tell you, here's what's just interesting. When, when the issues happened in Chicago a few months ago, uh, it was the Republican National Committee and members of and folks on our side that called out and said, we agree this sort of violence isn't acceptable. But you, yesterday, you heard absolute silence when folks on the left went and caused this absolute dis, a disrespectful nature, caused violence, dis, you know, yep. ruining public property. Silence from the DNC, silence from Hillary okay. Clinton. They are such hypocrites. When it comes to voting rights, Sean, I'll the state of Rhode right Island, 67 polling places, right okay. they said nothing. On, when Sean. it comes to violence, yep. they say nothing. Hold on, you know, Sean. it's interesting. They're always willing to call out everybody else, yep. but when it's their side okay. that disrupts, give, that creates violence, that ruins the public property, right now, Sean, should Sean, be peaceful. On.
Go ahead. Protests should be peaceful, absolutely. And I hope you join me too in denouncing your local Republican Party chairman in Broward County, Florida, who last night said the most offensive, misogynistic thing uh, that, that anyone has said on this campaign. And it's largely driven because the RNC has stood by and not stood up to Donald Trump's okay, misogynistic. Okay, stop it there. So this is, so again, the contrast here is what's going to help Donald Trump. Because on the one hand, you have Sean Spicer who's saying, you guys won't even stand up to people who overturn cop cars. And on the left, you have their spokesperson, and he's saying, yeah, well, we don't like when they do that, but you should really condemn the comments of this person. There's a difference, as I like to say, between action and words. Okay, somebody saying something can be something you don't like. It can be something offensive. It can be Donald Trump saying stupid things. It can be lots of things. Violent action, of course, is the line that once you cross it, there is no return. And so equating the two things is very dangerous stuff. The idea that Donald Trump says something, and that's the equivalent of people surrounding cars and overturning them, that's absurd. That's absurd, and that is the road to fascism, and that's why Trump is seeing uh, a significant base of support, because the opposition to Trump, and this is the problem for folks like me, I oppose both Trump and the opposition to Trump. Right? The, the, the people who you're seeing in these streets, I think they're awful. I think they're terrible. I also think that Trump is awful and terrible, but not in the same way. Right? So Trump is awful and terrible because he says a lot of things that I think are really terrible. I think he has a lot of bad positions. I think he hangs out with bad people. I think he incentivizes bad people. I think he's incoherent on policy. I think the people who face him are worse, right? Because they're actually engaging in violent action. But this puts me in a small minority because people tend to think in binary terms. People tend to think in binary terms. Jeremy Boring, uh, who's the managing editor over at Daily Wire, he likes to give the example, I think I've talked about it before, he likes to give the example that people love Star Wars, but Luke Skywalker is one of the most boring heroes in movies. What makes Luke Skywalker the hero is that you open the movie with Darth Vader. You open the movie with, with a guy, in, a seven-foot-tall guy in a black death mask, bursting open a door and force-choking somebody, picking him up from the ground and choking him to death for no reason, right? Just crushing his, crushing his larynx, for no, his windpipe. For no reason. And then, you, and then you cut to Luke, who's a whiny teenager, like, oh, that guy must be the hero. Okay, in this scenario, Darth Vader is these protesters, and Donald Trump is Luke Skywalker. But what if Luke Skywalker is actually just, like, not a great guy? What if Luke Skywalker, in that case, is Boba Fett? If they just cut to Boba Fett, now Boba Fett is the, is, the, is the good guy, right? Because the guy you cut to after the worst person must be the best person. And that's, and that's how, how the mind operates in terms of Trump versus his opposition. And so, for example... You see that sort of stuff, and then you see Trump getting all pugnacious, and, and he's asked about Vincente Fox and the wall, and he says the, his usual line, the wall just got 10 feet taller, right? You look at Trump doing this, and you go, okay, I get this. The former president uh, of Mexico, Vicente Fox, he said today, and I'm quoting him, he said, I'm not going to pay for that effing wall. <laughs> so if you don't uh, get an actual check, from the Mexican government for 8 or 10 or $12 billion, whatever it will cost, how are you going to make them pay for the wall? I will, and the wall just got 10 feet taller, believe me. Right, and, so the, and that's when you get the big yells, right? There's a flashback to the debate. It's that sort of feel from Donald Trump. He's a counterpuncher. This is his routine. I'm a counterpuncher. Okay, so that's how Trump can win, is if the left is so terrible that the person who counterpunches against the left becomes more popular. And Hillary is so terrible. Hillary's irritating and annoying and awful. Hillary Clinton, she said that, for example, here, here's a good juxtaposition. So Hillary is so bad, she makes Trump look funny and good by contrast. So Hillary said over the weekend that when she has to deal with, how will she deal with Donald Trump? Well, she knows how to deal with men off the reservation, is clip 20. Here's Hillary Clinton talking about Donald Trump. I have a lot of experience dealing with men who sometimes get off the 
reservation in the way they behave and how they speak. Uh, I'm not going to deal with their temper tantrums or their bullying or their efforts to try to provoke me. He can say whatever he wants to say about me. I could really care less. I'm going to stand up for what I think the American people need and want in the next president. That's why I've laid out very specific plans. There's nothing secret about what I want to do with the economy, with education, with health care, with foreign policy. I've laid it all out there. And he can't, or he okay, won't. So she, I can't tell so which. So two things. One, she looks like death. Second, she sounds like a scold, right? I've dealt with men who get off the reservation before. I've dealt with men who get off the reservation before. Except, of course, the reservation where her husband lived, in which case she just brought the hookers to him. I mean, she basically was his procurer. But in any case, Trump says that. And so the contrast is going to benefit Trump. So here's Trump responding to that, to that comment from Hillary. It's, it is funny. She has taken from others a lot of heat having to do with that statement. And I think it's a very harsh statement. It's basically like, I can handle men. Don't worry about me. I can handle men. If somebody said that, if I made that statement about women, uh, there'd be uh, front page headlines. Yeah, but you basically the way she did. Talks about I can handle men. You basically uh, you know, did. You said all she's got is that she's a woman. Statement. Now, I won't even bring up the fact that the Indians have gone wild on that statement. You know that, okay? The Indians have said that that statement is a disastrous statement, and they want a retraction. I'm not going to get into that. But that well, has you just did get into it. I had not really I'm not, heard that. I'm not bringing that up. I'm saying that has been you taken did bring place bigly. <laughs> but you, I think it's a very, it I think it's a very <laughs> nasty statement to men. And if I made that statement, it would be a big, big story. Okay, so so Trump is fighting back on her level, and because she's nasty and inherited, and he's also nasty and and a horror show, they'll fight it out on that level with each other. So on that way, in, in that way, Trump could win. Now, here's the problem. Here's where Trump goes wrong. And this is the problem, okay? Trump, the, the benefit of Trump is if you were just, if you really were everything he says he is, you were just a counterpuncher, that's all he wore. You know, people attack him and he hits them back really hard. If that's just what his candidacy was, he'd be in good shape. But that's not all he is. Donald Trump is also a sideshow. And because he's a sideshow, the media will turn on him in a New York minute. They will break him. So the media made him and the media will break him. Okay, the media made him, they've spent 30 years portraying him as this master of the financial universe, this whiz kid who comes from nowhere and makes himself into this massive brand and the whole deal. And they spent $2 billion worth of media coverage in this primary alone to help push him. And now they're going to destroy him because all of this sideshow nonsense, if it's initiated by Hillary and he responds, that's not sideshow, he's good at that. He legitimately, he's good at it. It's his, it's his best trait. It's what he's good at. If he has to initiate action, he's in serious trouble. When he's left to his own devices, he's in serious... Listen, I said back in 2011 that if the man had any discipline, he'd be president. We're about to find out whether he has any discipline at all. So here is you know, the, the sideshow. Here's the part of the sideshow campaign. So you remember two weeks ago, Donald Trump said he'd let Caitlyn Jenner use a women's restroom in his Trump Tower. So Caitlyn Jenner took him up on it and decided to truck on over to Trump Tower and then use the restroom over there. And Caitlyn Jenner, a very beautiful woman. Oof. And, uh, and here we go. Oh my God, a trans woman in New York. I gotta take a pee. Anyway, um, oh my God, Trump International Hotel. I love this. Okay, last week, Donald Trump said I could take a pee anywhere in a Trump facility. So I am gonna go take a pee in the ladies' room. It's not a man, folks. That's a woman. Just keep remembering. And then here comes Caitlyn Jenner into the lobby 
asking where the ladies' room is. They tell him where the ladies' room is. He's eight feet tall. <laughs> and he's going on. He's not going to go to the men's room because he has a willy. He's going to go into the women's room. And, uh, and that's where the tape cuts out. Now, it is funny to me that the, the tape cuts out there, presumably because you don't want to show what happens in the women's room. It gets real awkward when it turns out that he's standing facing the toilet in order to go pee-pee. They always stop it right where they, that cuts out because the offensive part actually happens inside the door when he takes out his very feminine penis and begins peeing in the women's room. But this is part of the Trump sideshow campaign because now this is all over the news. Caitlyn Jenner peeing in Trump Tower. Ooh. And now all over the news, Donald Trump talking about Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson is, of course, the famous boxer who is a convicted rapist. He did three years. In, he was, a, I guess, a resident in Indiana for three years while he was in the state penitentiary. Right? He was actually in prison in Indiana. And Mike Tyson came out and endorsed Trump. He said, yeah, I like, I like Donald Trump. Donald Trump's great. He's the best Donald Trump. He's such a tough guy. I'll give him my tiger. Yeah. Eat his children. So Donald Trump was, so Donald Trump was asked about this. Ted Cruz came out and he said, Donald Trump touted this, first of all. And Ted Cruz said, well, you know, I don't go around touting endorsements from rapists. Here's Donald Trump coming back at, at Ted Cruz via Chris Wallace. It just shows what a liar he is. So Mike Tyson over the Internet endorsed me. He said, I endorse Mr. Trump. He said that. That was it. No big deal. I didn't have a meeting or anything. I haven't seen Mike in years. But he said he endorsed me. So Cruz is now saying, oh, he was a rapist. This guy is a real liar. That's why we call him Lion Ted Cruz. I mean, the greatest liar that ever lived, except he gets caught every time. Except he gets caught every time. He's a convicted rapist. Convicted. Okay, not even accused like Bill Clinton convicted, went to jail. I know the prosecutor, Greg Garrison. He's a talk show host over in Indiana. Convicted rapist, but, but Ted Cruz is a liar. So how do you think that's going to play in a general when he's saying that convicted rapists are not actually rapists? By the way, Donald Trump, going back 20 years, was defending Mike Tyson from the rape allegations, suggesting, in fact, that, that Mike Tyson had been sort of suckered into this whole thing and that, uh, and that Desiree Washington, the woman who accused him of rape, was actually just trying to get him. Trump, of course, was running his casinos at that time and wanted Tyson to be able to box there. So here, so Ty, he says, again, this is the Trump sideshow. So if Trump were just the counterpuncher, he'd be fine. He's the sideshow also. So Donald Trump says Mike Tyson is not a rapist, and anyone who calls Mike Tyson a rapist, despite the fact he was convicted of rape, is a liar. But there is one kind of rape that Donald Trump doesn't like, and that is economic rape. So here's Donald Trump on China. Don't forget, we're like the piggy bank that's being robbed. We have the cards. We have a lot of power with China. When China doesn't want to fix the problem in North Korea, we say, sorry, folks, you got to fix the problem. Because we can't continue to allow China to rape our country. And that's what they're doing. It's the greatest theft in the history of the world. Okay, let me stop it there. First of all, Ted Cruz is the greatest liar in the history of the world. China manipulating its currency is the greatest theft in the history of the world. Not like, I mean, admittedly, not quite, not... And maybe it's a little bit worse than like, I don't know, killing six million Jews and taking all their money. But, you know, aside from that, it's, the, it's, it's, it's like the greatest theft in history or maybe, you know, the, the various mass wars of attrition across the Middle East and across the uh, maybe, maybe the stealing of oil and the nationalization of, of British petroleum by Iran. Uh, but, but no, the greatest theft in history is not actually a theft. It's just China trading with us. But that's rape. OK, so Mike Tyson is not a rapist, but China is an economic rapist. Okay, again, this is where the Trump sideshow begins to run off the rails, and this is the problem for, for the Trump train, is that if Trump just stayed on track, if he were just fighting Hillary, if he just were the counterpuncher, he'd be okay. But he's not. But he's not, because he's all of these other negative things. And here's how things are going to go. Here's how things are going to go. Harry Reid says, look, 
We're going to win back the Senate. Democrats are going to win back the Senate because of Donald Trump. Uh, we, only, we need to pick up four to take the majority. And with the numbers I've given you, it's going to be a fairly uh, certain thing that we can do that. Okay, and this continues. Here's, here's why the, the Democratic Senate takeover is likely. They've, they're now starting to run ads about Trump. So this is the first time we're, we're now nearing the Trump nomination to the point where Democrats feel comfortable spending their money on anti-Trump ads. So there's an ad that's now running in Arkansas. And it's an ad that is that is running. I'm trying to remember the name of the candidate who's running this ad. Uh, I'm bringing it up right now if I can. But in any case, his, the the guy who's running this particular ad is um is running for Senate in Arkansas, and he's running a guy against a guy named John Boozman, who's the current Senate Senate senator in Arkansas. It's Connor Eldridge is the guy's name. He's a Democrat. Here is the ad that he's now running against the Republican senator in Arkansas. This is how the campaign is going to go because again. Trump is a negative force. He's not just an anti-force. He's a negative force, too. Here's the ad that's running in Arkansas. So for folks who can't see. She ate like a pig. I'd look her right in that fat, ugly face of hers. He once sent her a picture of herself with the words, the face of a dog or not. So somebody typing the word harassment to subject someone to hostility. The boob job is terrible. You know, they look like two light posts coming out of a body. Blood coming out of her, wherever. A person who's flat-chested is very hard to be a 10. You don't think you could get it up for her? I, I think I'd have a hard time. Wow. No, I don't find her attractive. This is, and then it goes back to explaining what ha harassment is. You Dr. dropped Trump. to your knees. It must be right. a pretty picture you dropped to your knees. John and Dennis thought I should be. Omarosa said me. Some other people said you. Like you wouldn't have your job if you weren't beautiful. I put together a montage of Marla. Donald's had her. What is it like when she is in bed with you, Donald? <laughs> it is a beautiful structure. There's no question. Trump enabler. And then it says Arkansas Senator John Boozman, right? So the idea is that Boozman supports Trump. And they quote Boozman. I'll support the candidate regardless of who we pick, whether Donald Trump. Uh, it certainly would be a lot better presidency. And then it goes to Connor Eldridge, and there's the rest of the ad. The rest of the ad doesn't matter. So that's the point, okay? Trump's negatives are very real. It's not just that he's anti. It's that he's an active negative force. So he's a package deal. You're getting the, the guy who's going to throw the kitchen sink. You're getting the guy who's going to hit people with a hammer. He's also the guy who's always a hammer and has been hammering people badly and in negative ways and in nasty ways for legitimately years. Now, what's sad about all of this, again, is that Hillary is so vulnerable. If you're just anti-Hillary, you have a good shot at winning. If you're anti-Hillary, Hillary's such a shrew, she's such a shrieking harpy of evil, that if you just went out there and ran against her, you'd be in great shape. But Trump has so much baggage. There's so much that, 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 that is negative about Trump. Hillary is just going to eat him up on all of those things. And so when, and, and the Trump support base, but again, this is the disconnect, right? The, the point that I'm making is, is, is a pretty objective one. Trump is good in some ways, but he's really bad in some ways. And the ways that he's bad are really going to hurt him. The Trump support base, though, is so passionate because they're anti, because they're anti. And because Trump is anti things, they now assume, his Trump support base assumes that everything that Trump is anti is something worth being anti. So there's an exchange that happened, it was today, earlier this morning, Ted Cruz was campaigning in Indiana and he was confronted by a Trump supporter. And it looked, just to, to give you sort of a, a, a hint as to, as to, well, let's play a little bit of it. Here's, here's Ted Cruz meeting a Trump supporter, and you're about to see why this election has gone so badly. Because the anti-feeling, the feeling of resist, has now been extended to even people who are constitutional conservatives, not just the actual enemy, people like Hillary Clinton. Because for Trump, 
And for Trump's people, Hillary isn't necessarily the enemy. Everybody who's not Trump is the enemy. And I'm going to treat you with respect and civility, even if not everyone in this process does. I'll tell you, this election matters. It matters a lot, and you need someone to stand up. Yeah, it does matter. It matters matters a lot. So I appreciate your coming out. I appreciate your coming out and standing up. And I think this entire process, I think anyone that wants to be president owes it to the people of this state to come in front of you and ask for your support. And I'm running to be everyone's president, those who vote for me and even those we who don't want vote you. For me. Well, you're, you're entitled to your view, sir, and I will respect it. In fact, I will Do the protect. Math. I will Ooh, protect. Now you ask your cases right. to drop out. It's your turn. Well, take okay. your own words. Now I'm curious, sir. Time to drop out. When sir. Donald doesn't get to 1237, are you going to call him? Donald's definitely going to get to 1237. No, he's going to get more than 1237. Let me ask you something, sir. What What do you like about Donald? Everything. Give me one. Everything. Give me one. Can you pick anything? The wall. Okay, the wall. That's the main thing. Immigration. All right, hold on a second. Now, do you know on the wall that Donald told the New York Times editorial board he's not going to build a wall and he's not going to deport anyone? You're lying. Once again, lying Ted. Well, sir, you know, actually, civilized people don't just scream and yell at each other. I'm not yelling at you. Do you know that Donald's words were caught on tape? The New York Times recorded the whole thing, publicly reported. Uh, that's a total lie made up by Donald Trump's Ted. Okay, and this is, and okay, so basically this has now become the scene from Tombstone where Kurt Russell is dealing at the casino and Ike, right, Ike Clanton comes up to him and this is the, this is the scene, this is the exact scene. Here's what it looks like, right? Wide herb, huh? Heard of you. Listen now, Mr. Kansas law dog. Law don't go around here. Savvy? I'm retired. Good. That's real good. Yeah. Yeah, that's real good, Law Dog, because Law just don't go around here. Yeah, I heard you the first time. Winner to the king, $500. <laughs> that is that exchange, right? I mean, he's got the same number of teeth, right? You got that guy, and he's got three teeth talking to Ted Cruz, Harvard Law graduate and constitutional lawyer about a lion Ted. Well, here you are, lion Ted. You definitely had those affairs. That's true. But when you cite that New York Times, them city people with their with their crazy words and such. Well, now, listen, most Southerners are not this guy. I assume he's in Indiana. So it's not even Southern, right? He's Midwestern. But this is but but this is what a lot of Trump supporters have become. Because they're so anti-things, they're anti-the Trump protesters, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I think a lot of the Trump people ardently support Trump because they were pushed into the Trump camp by a lot of people who were anti-Trump, originally the hard left in the media. And now they've bought full into the dictatorial impulse. Nothing Trump says can be wrong. What do you like about him? Everything. I like everything. I like the size of his hands. I think he has a nice ass. Everything. All of the things about Donald Trump are wonderful. Let me tell you, when he says he's got great appendages, I believe him. I believe him. I believe every word he says. Once you get to that point, folks, you've moved beyond the realm of rationality. I I fully understood the reactionary love for Donald Trump's candidacy, but you have to acknowledge on an objective level that there are problems with Donald Trump as a candidate. I've acknowledged on an objective level there are problems with my guy, Ted Cruz, as a candidate. He comes off like a snake oil salesman. He comes off like a Baptist preacher, and it's very difficult to feel that he's sincere. Donald Trump is a bad man, and he comes off like a bad man. You can acknowledge that and still support your guy. But this whole routine where everything he does is right, every single thing that he does is right, all, everything, they're all great, all the things are wonderful about Donald Trump, you truly have to be foolish to believe this. 
And if you buy into this, if you buy into this all the way through the election, you're going to be in for a bad surprise because you're going to think all the way up till the time he gets beat by a thousand percent, all the way up until the time he loses 43 states, you're going to be thinking that he's going to win because that's all he does. He just wins. That's all he does. He just lying Ted and crooked Hillary. And if you just keep saying these things over and over, I love everything. It's just there's no way to convince those folks. And those people will be the first people who are saying that, that Trump was stabbed in the back when he loses, even though we told you a year in advance that he was going to get his butt kicked. All right. Time for one thing that I like and then a couple of things that I hate. All right. So things that I like. The, uh, the Hillary Mantel wrote a book called Wolf Hall that's very good. It's now a series on PBS. I'll show you like a little bit of the preview of the series. The series is, is okay. The book is much better. Um, but, uh, but the acting on the series is really good. So here, it's, it's about Henry VIII and, uh, and the, the break in the church and his marriage to Anne Boleyn. Uh, I assume the series will take us all the way up to Anne Boleyn's beheading. Um, the first book takes you to Sir Thomas More's beheading. Um, but, the, but it's a very good book, and, and here's what the series looks like. At last, a man born in a more lowly state than myself. Cromwell, I knew there was something about you that I didn't like. I swear to be a true and faithful counselor to the king's majesty as one of his highness's privy counsel. You'll not find any talent I possess that England cannot use. I trust in your discretion and your skill. You made a mistake threatening me, sir. Now is the time for you to become the king you should be. Aren't you afraid? What? Those who've been made can be unmade. I keep you because you are a serpent. Everything that you are, everything that you have, will come from me. It's, it's, and it's, the acting in the series actually is really good. Damian Lewis is a terrific actor. I, I first started to really like him when I watched Band of Brothers, which is the best series ever on TV. Band of Brothers is spectacular. We'll have to do a Things I Like just on Band of Brothers because it's that good. But that's where um, – so, so the book itself, Wolf Hall, is what I've read. I haven't seen the full series. Started to watch it, um, and, uh, and the series is okay, but the, the book is much better. So Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel. All right, things that I hate. Amy Schumer has now put out a new video on guns. Amy Schumer is the, is the gal who recently was on the cover of, I can't remember which magazine it was. It was one of the women's magazines. Uh, and it was a picture of her setting her of a hoo-hoo on fire, um, which is what syphilis will do to you, by the way. And, um, and, and she also is a far leftist uh, who pushes anti-gun routines. So she did this anti-gun routine. This is her, her routine of selling guns. This is what she thinks that, this is why she thinks right-wingers sell gun, buy guns. Here, here we go. Amy Schumer. Now, speaking of perfect gifts, now this is a no-brainer, all right? Now, this is a gun. Just your regular, run-of-the-mill meat and potatoes handgun. Now, how cute is that? I love how cute. that. Can we, we can pick this. it up. Oh, oh heavy. Oh, can I see uh, this? You can oh, hold wow. it. Sure. Wow. Look, Look at, at that. that. <laughs> wow. It's like a toy, but it's extremely real. Yeah, and now here is what's great about this. Now, pretty much anyone can Purchase this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh my God, this is so fun. It's I love fun. this. Hey, lady, give me all your money and your oh! makeup. <laughs> oh my God, so fun, and it's on sale now. Call in. Oh, we got a call. Oh, caller. Hey, did I miss the Steve Irwin coins? Oh yeah, you did. You sure did, I'm honey. Sorry. But that's okay. You want a gun? Oh no, I could never get a gun. I have several violent felonies. <laughs> Oh, no. Caller, you bite your tongue, you silly goose. You can absolutely get a gun if you have several felonies as long as you buy it on the Internet or at right. a gun show. And okay. caller... None of these things are true. Okay. Every, every, what's, what's so bad about this? First of all, it's bad comedy because it's not funny in any way. But beyond that, 
every element of this is false. All of the things about this are false. It's very, it's actually not that easy to buy a gun. You have to be over a certain age. They do a background check on you. Every federally licensed firearms dealer has to do a background check for felonies. If you buy a gun over the internet, it has to be shipped to a federally licensed firearms dealer. You then have to go to that federally licensed firearms dealer for a background check. The gun show loophole is not a real thing. Okay, real firearms dealers at a gun show still have to do a background check on you. The so-called gun show loophole is if I sell a gun to Lindsay. Okay, that's, that's not a gun show loophole. That's a private party purchase loophole. Okay, it's a different thing. And there's been no evidence that private party purchases like that are what are leading to any sort of spike in gun crime. In any case, you wouldn't expect intelligence from a woman who sets her vagina on fire to show the world what a, what a, how she sets the world on fire, presumably. But this is comedy in the service of leftism has now become the thing. So over the weekend was the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and I hate, hate the White House Correspondents' Dinner. There are two Washington spectacles I absolutely despise in every way it's possible to despise them. The first Washington spectacle that I despise is the State of the Union. It's an imperial diktat that comes from a guy who's an elected official in front of other elected officials, but when he walks into the chamber, everybody cheers, oh, it's the King of England, he's here, and now we all have to worship at his altar, and it's going to be great. So that's the number one thing I hate. The second thing I hate is the White House Correspondents' Dinner because it's the media, which is supposed to cover the president in all of the gory detail, and the, po- and the president, who's supposed to serve the media and the public, and they get together, and then they just drink, and they wear tuxes, and they feed each other, and they talk about how they're best friends. I don't want the media to be friends with the president. The media coverage of George W. Bush was significantly better than any of the media coverage of Barack Obama because the media didn't like Bush, and they like Obama. Right? So, th- so I hate this thing, and I think that if, I, if, if, if you were somebody who's out of a job watching President Obama wear a tux and sip champagne as he makes jokes with the celebrities, you would think, well, maybe our political class is a little bit out of touch. I'm voting for Donald Trump because of all of that. Even though Donald Trump is these people, he's both Hollywood and Washington, D.C. So there are a couple of things that were particularly galling. We can start with Obama's joke. So Obama does this comedy routine. And honestly, if, if I were the president of the United States, I think I would just tell them to stick it. I think I would just, I, I, I would probably skip the event. I'd probably just cancel the event altogether because they, they call this thing nerd prom. It's not nerd prom, okay? All of these people are not nerds. Most of them are talking heads who are incredibly stupid but good-looking. And so they're there, and they're supposed to be nerds, and they're joking with each other. And it's just, it, the whole thing just sticks in my craw in a real way. Here's President Obama joking about Donald Trump. So this night is a testament to all of you who've devoted your lives to that idea. That's actually a clip. Although I am a little hurt that he's not here tonight. We had so much fun the last time. And it is surprising. You've got a room full of reporters, celebrities, cameras, and he says no. Is this dinner too tacky for the Donald? What could he possibly be doing instead? Is he at home eating a Trump steak? Tweeting out insults to Angela Merkel? What's he doing? And there's one area where Donald's experience could be invaluable. And that's closing Guantanamo, because Trump knows a thing or two about running waterfront properties into the ground. Okay, and so I just want to point one thing out. We'll play one more clip of this, and then I want to point one thing out. So here is President Obama talking about how warm he is with the press, how much he loves the press. I know that there are times that we've had differences, and that's inherent in our institutional roles. It's true of every president and his press corps. But we've always shared the same goal, to to root our public discourse in the truth. 
to open the doors of this democracy, uh, to do whatever we can to make our country and our world more free and more just. Okay, so and there I've he is, praising the, the, praising the media. Okay, this is what I hate about President Obama's regime, okay, and it, 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 his, his administration. President Obama does this routine where now he's feeding the press. He spent his entire administration prosecuting members of the press who attempt to uncover things about him. He went after the AP. He bugged the AP. Uh, he sent his reporters – he sent his DOJ after reporters from the Washington Post. The, the media have said openly this is the least transparent White House in the history of White Houses. And yet there he is talking about how he has this close relationship with the media, and they're all there clapping for him. Yay! That's what I hate about all of this. And it's not just the media, obviously. It's also the folks in Hollywood. So you saw Amy Schumer using comedy in the service of, of leftism, or rather taking a gun to the head of comedy and pulling the trigger, splattering its brains across the wall in service to, to leftism. Larry Wilmore, who, as I've said before, is the second least funny human being on the planet after Trevor Noah. Uh, Larry Wilmore was the guy who hosted this one. And... Same deal, same deal. So his jokes about Obama basically fell flat. They were really quite terrible. His jokes about Trump were much more hard-hitting. And then how he finished it up was, was the big story of the day. So here's Larry Wilmore finishing up. Remember, he's the comedian. He's the comedian, right? He's supposed to be the comic entertainment. Here's Larry Wilmore finishing up. If this doesn't tell you everything you need to know about the nexus between Hollywood and the media and the White House, this is it right here. Okay, Larry Wilmore got praise. Nothing but praise for this from the media. Media thought this was brave and wonderful. The same media that thought Stephen Colbert going on stage and calling George W. Bush a liar in front of him at the White House Correspondents' Dinner about 10 years ago now, they thought this was just the bravest thing they ever saw Larry Wilmore do. Here's Larry Wilmore talking about President Obama. Thank you for being a good sport, Mr. President, but all jokes aside, let me just say um, how much it means for me to be here tonight. I've always joked that I voted for the president because he's black. And uh, people say, would well, you agree with his policies? And I've always said, I agree with the policy that he's black. Um, I say, as long as he keeps being black, I'm good. People say, what about Iraq? Is he still black? <laughs> but behind that joke is a humble appreciation for the historical implications for what your presidency means. When I was a kid, I lived in a country where people couldn't accept a black quarterback. Now think about that. A black man was thought by his mere color not good enough to lead a football team. And now, to live in your time, Mr. President, when a black man can lead the entire free world. Um, uh, words alone do me no justice. Um, so, Mr. President, if I'm going to keep it 100, Yo, Barry, you did it, my nigga. <laughs> did it. <laughs> oh, and, and Obama's so pleased because, of course, he spent his entire life searching for his black identity, according to dreams from my father. A couple of things worthwhile there pointing out. One, he's a comedian. He is not a political commentator. Second, even if you were a comedian who does political comedy, the idea that he's coming out in full this isn't this is politician worship. It's Trump-like politician worship on the right, and this has existed for Obama for a long time. This sort of stuff created Trump in every way. The worship for Obama created a feeling of worship on the other side of the aisle for the anti-Obama. The media's collusion with President Obama created a hatred for the media that allows Trump to get away with unbelievable lies. I mean, that's an amazing line, what Larry Wilmore says there, where he says, "Have you do you agree with his policies? He says, if he keeps being black, I agree with his policies. Can you imagine a white person saying that? Can you imagine that? End of the world. Pure racism, right? 
And then when he drops the N-word at the end of that, everybody's supposed to be okay with that because a black man talking to another black man making a black guy in-joke in front of the entire country, right, with the president who's supposed to be the president of all the people. It really is appalling, but this entire dinner is appalling. And it demonstrates, again, that we've become a, a, a politics of celebrity. We've become a politics of personal loyalty, which is the scariest thing. You combine those two, personal loyalty and celebrity, and what you end up with is a joke. You end up with a circus, but it's a tyrannical circus. We used to be able to get away with this kind of crap when we had hero worship for people in 1840 with William Henry Harrison, right? He was a general, but the president didn't do anything then. Now it's the most powerful office on the world, in the world, and we're talking. And the only question is whether it ought to be controlled by Kanye West or whether it ought to be controlled by Justin Bieber. That's basically the, the conversation now. And so we've got our own Kanye and Justin Bieber. We have our own President Obama and Donald Trump. Just because he's anti-things doesn't make him pro the right things. We'll talk tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow. For the, for the last episode, the, the ultimate episode before the apocalypse arrives, we'll see if in the mold of Pacific Rim we are able to cancel the apocalypse. Somehow, being a pessimist, I doubt it, but we'll still be here, and Clavin will make you feel better this afternoon. He'll tell you some happy talk or something, and you know that's just the way that it goes. But I'm here. I'm here to depress you. I'm back. I got all the notes. I'm here. Yep, you brought me back. All right. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. 'll we'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 